right. Big fan of the topic tonight. I've always been a large proponent of frugal living. Anyways, I am Jason. Across from me is Dave. Uh, together we make up the Drink 5 podcast. You are here at the Retro Spectacle podcast. Um, our little branch of uh, podcast where we like to branch out, I guess, right? Sure. So um, tonight we're going to talk about frugal living. Uh, and, you know, frugal living isn't just about being cheap because, you know, as, as we know, we like to drink good beer. So you need to uh, live frugally so that you can enjoy the good things in life still, right? So, always, uh, always. As is tradition, this evening I'm going to be drinking uh, beer. Tonight I've got the Down to Earth Session IPA. Uh, brewed by 21st Amendment Brewery. Uh, I think all of us here are big fans of the 21st Amendment. Uh, anyways, they're in San Leandro, California. Our buddy Vince uh, was there, I think, when he was in San Diego. So it's down in the uh, down that area, down that way. Um, all right. So, uh, Dave, I believe uh, you've got a Firestone DBA, the Double Barrel Ale. Is that right? That's correct, sir. I had one of those this weekend. I thought it was great. Um, it has a whole lot of flavor for a beer that's not actually an IPA. Uh, it is a pale ale, I believe. So, you know, it's got a lot going for it still. But I, I love that beer. And it certainly isn't going to knock you over the head with too many hops or anything like that. And a little bit later, we're going to enjoy the Iron Throne Blonde Ale. Oh, man, we had an interesting view of the Iron Throne this week on Game of Thrones. But I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Yeah, no spoilers here. Although, spoilers nowadays is what happens uh, basically uh, anything more than 24 hours from the original airing. I think we're lucky that uh, when we all watched it at like 9.45 at night, there weren't people on Twitter just spoiling it for us at the party. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and as you said, we're, we're drinking some lovely beers. I have a DBA from Firestone, which is a double barrel ale. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a very good ale. And it's very good as well, and I can't wait to uh, to get some of that other beer uh, in me and, and celebrate this wonderful Tuesday evening, the final day of March. Yeah, as, May. as Jason mentioned, uh, we we do a lot of different podcasts, and I do encourage you to go out and follow our show on uh, on iTunes or on uh, Stitcher and a lot of other places that carry our feed. And our retrospectical topics are really wide and varied, including. Uh, stuff on the legalization of marijuana all the way to national parks and even to conspiracy theories and, and, and AI and we talk about space. Yeah, so a lot of technology-oriented stuff, I guess. And that's going to be sort of the case here too because, uh, you know, tied into the subject is stuff like energy utilities and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So let's just uh, tip it off. One of the favorite topics that I like to talk about is food. I consider myself to be a good cook. We have a garden in the backyard. Um, and so food is very important to me. Although I don't often focus on saving money when I'm shopping, there are a lot of times where I will go out and buy things on purpose that are less expensive. And I don't shy away from coupons, which we'll talk about later, but uh, I, I'm not actively seeking them out. You're not a coupon hunter? Right. So uh, I think it's important to live somewhere in the space between uh, like this frugal freak uh, character that I have um, <laughs> that uses every single... The uh, frugal man inside of you? Right. That's like every single cent of every single dollar is budgeted. He must cringe every time you throw out a paper towel. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's important to uh, to actually take on some of these things uh, as you can. So 
uh, it's not good to, in my opinion, go out there and look at the world through the eyes of someone who only sees how much things cost. But on the other hand, uh, those people that are very wealthy and rich, uh, a lot of times, uh, one of their secrets is that they're not spending things every chance they get, which is uh, some of the problem with middle class folks like us. Uh, you may not have a savings account or not very much in a savings account because you always go out and buy those things you want. And again, we'll touch on all those parts. That's true. And I suppose there's different philosophies to life in general. Mm -hmm. So starting with food, uh, just looking at the grocery store and the way that things are designed over the past 20, 30, 40 years, these companies have gotten very smart as far as how they market products and the branding and packaging and the way that they sell things, the way that they actually go about having a sale can sometimes be misleading to the consumer. Because let's be honest, um, in regardless of, of how good the company is, eventually the salespeople are going to get involved and all the salespeople want is to make <laughs> as, as much money as possible for you know the products that they have to sell. True. And so on that note, uh, paying attention to the price per ounce is a very good thing to do. And Costco is a place where we shop, for example, and they give you a leg up right away and they tell you what the price per pound or the price per ounce is on every almost every single one of their products that that's relevant to especially food yeah it's it's very relevant to food and stuff especially when you're comparing one food to the other however it can be misleading from time to time so they, they'll list the price per ounce for like laundry detergent and laundry detergent you shouldn't compare one brand to another because maybe one brand you need to use you know five ounces of detergent per load and the other brand you only need to use half of that yeah, and, and again, uh, on that same uh, on that same level of thinking, you might go to the little section where they have things like hummus or already cooked goods or things you put in the refrigerator. So like I've seen products that are like, uh, let's say, a, a baked uh, broccoli and rice casserole or something. Okay. And they'll say, well, it's only four ninety nine per pound. You say, well, that's great. <laughs> but the product might be five pounds, and it doesn't tell you the price of the product. It only tells you how much it costs per pound. So you have to oh, figure wow. that out yourself. Interesting. Um, or, you know, search for things that tell you that on the package. So Costco is not, you know... A super good company either they're they're a nice company but they want to make money as well as everyone else uh, if you're at an actual grocery store something like a, a jewel or a, a kroger or a meyer then those places they'll oftentimes have these big specials on uh on products that are in bulk for example and interestingly enough buying a product in bulk is not always the best way to go at a regular grocery store because you might find let's say uh three pounds of asparagus for a certain price but then right next to that could be a very similar product if not the same by the same manufacturer selling it individually packaged and it will uh, it will actually be less expensive so you really have to look out and see if someone is trying to get that 10 cents or 15 cents from you which among a whole uh, uh, you know everybody out there shopping it's gonna make a big impact in their quarterly profits it's so this is one thing that I totally notice uh, when I go to the grocery store if you're uh, wanting to pick up some chips and salsa, you go to the chip aisle and you pick up chips. If you buy salsa from the chip aisle, it's twice as much as if you go to the Hispanic aisle and buy a bottle of salsa there. Yeah, um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too. The, the ethnic sections uh, that they do have in grocery stores are often selling products that are exactly the same or at least very similar. Like you might buy a bag of uh, beans or some kind of bulk spice 
And if you're in the Chinese, Japanese, Mexican section, you could find maybe paprika for a certain price. But if you go to the regular spice section or the regular bean section, you're going to be spending twice as much on, um, it might be a different brand, but let's be honest, black beans are pretty much black beans. Paprika is pretty much paprika. Yeah. Unless, as long as the ingredients are the same. There are very highbrow places that are gourmet specialized uh, artisan boutique shops, and those are a little different. Whole Foods. Or, well, or, or we shop at a place called Spice House, which is local to the Chicago area. Yeah, but that's a specialty store. That's, that's, that's what I mean. Okay. But yeah, if you're going to a grocery store and you're buying McCormick or whatever, it's probably going to be the same product, yeah. maybe even packaged in the same place. And honestly, what we get from the Spice House, when we buy in bulk, we're saving way more money compared to the grocery store, and we're getting a better product. Yeah. This is what we mean by being frugal people. You find a better value, not necessarily just the cheapest thing available. True. Uh, so let's talk about couponing. So a couple of years ago, well, probably more like five or ten years ago, uh, this started to become more of a craze than it already was. I'm not going to say that this just started. Because... Couponing is as popular as storage units, buddy. <laughs> well, well, coupons originated back a long time ago. And uh, even back when our, when our parents were shopping and, and our grandparents before them, uh, they were using coupons when they would go to the local store because that's just a way to get people up out of their seats into uh, you know, the uh, consumer pants uh, to go into the store and buy products. And that's fine. Do you wear your consumer pants when you go to the store? That's what I call them. All right. Yeah, they're just blue jeans, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's this guy on Reddit. Uh, his name is Thinks Like a Man. And he wrote up this little paper called Couponing for Sane People, Save on Groceries Without Being Crazy, which I really appreciate the title. That kind of sums it up for me. And this is even a little bit more in-depth than, than I like to go. But if you look at, at, this, uh, at this little paper that he wrote, for the benefit of other users... Then, and, and I'll put up a link uh, to the article that I'll post a couple days after this podcast goes out. Uh, if you want to see it, though, just search for couponing for sane people in Google and it'll come right up for you. Um, so you might not want to buy 24 jars of peanut butter and 16 uh, you know, containers of Windex and, and 48,000 toilet paper rolls. I understand that. But it, Dave, sometimes you can. Well, Welcome to Costco. I love you. <laughs> And, and not everybody has the storage spots for that either. Like, you know, our, our house is, is a nice size, but it's not big enough for us to store, like, a million pounds of, uh, of um, like, fudge that you get on sale from, from one particular store at one time. Um, I think the thing that's a downside about couponing is you don't really get to pick what it is that you are buying. So I do think, and this is a little uh, off-subject from food, but I think the way that, that I like to use it, and I do, uh, is to buy things like toothbrushes and toothpaste and razors and shampoo and body wash and mouthwash. A place like Walgreens or CVS, you can get a lot of coupons online where you're saving things and maybe buying four bottles of body wash. Well, those are easily storable. And if you're just buying them at a grocery store or at a Walgreens, they'll probably cost you five, six, even up to $10 for a big bottle of a body wash or a shampoo. Uh, in this case, you can save a lot of money by buying those kinds of, of toiletry items uh, ahead of time. I just I, I tend to stray away from buying the groceries because uh, unless they're canned goods, for example, they often have an expiration date. Yeah, you can't. I mean, unless you're cooking something large, you can't always just... Plan on, well, I'll use the next 10 pounds of potatoes this week. Yeah, but that said, I don't have a family of six, and let's say I did. Maybe I would be more interested in this, which is why I encourage you to read the uh, the little essay that, that Thinks Like a Man composed, because it does have a lot of good points as to 
one, where you can find these coupons and tips to get the best ones. And then two, places to go because there's a lot of stores that are better than other stores at accepting these things. Sometimes they don't accept merchandiser coupons. Sometimes they don't accept double coupons or multiples, things like that. And so you have to go to a place that is going to allow you to, to be able to use your coupons in the first place. So do a little research. And if you have you know a big pantry and some extra storage, then maybe you wanna buy 5,000 laundry sheets because in, in the end, it will save you money. You're always gonna do laundry. 5,000 laundry sheets. <laughs> Uh, and we just talked about the, the ethnic uh, sections, etc. Uh, bridging on that, we're talking about a specialty store. For example, we have some stores in the area here, and most of you will, some kind of a produce store or a fresh market or maybe an ethnic Indian or a Japanese or Korean store where you can find items that you would normally buy, uh, like produce and bulk spices and nuts, even deli meat and cheese and other perishable items like that. And uh, you can get them at way lower prices than... Yeah, you can go to just a random butcher and pick up all kinds of stuff. Yeah, than then the big box places. So it's important, I think, to look into what resources you have around you because a lot of those places are going to have better prices and maybe even better items. Uh, there is a trade-off, though, and, and that trade-off is generally that there's going to be less employees at a place like that because they're spending all their money on the items and not the experience. So if you, you know, want to go to Whole Foods, you're going to have a great experience. You're going to spend twice as much money as, <laughs> as you would at the local uh, produce. That but, is an experience for grocery shopping. But it is an experience. So it depends on what you want. Uh, me, I would rather save some money and still have a good product than, than go to a place where, uh, uh, and I don't want to discount Whole Foods as a place to buy groceries, but let's be honest. Uh, unless you're making a ton of money or you actually have... a very have, expensive place to shop all the time. Or you actually have celiac you know, disease uh, <laughs> as opposed... to a very specialized diet. Yeah, then, then you don't need to go to those stores necessarily. It's more like uh, just a... Um, uh, I'm just going to continue with experience so I don't make anybody mad. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, it's a fun place, but my favorite place... Welcome to Costco. I love you. Welcome to Costco. I love you. He's a big fan of Costco. Welcome to Costco. I love you. Here. Okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about some things that you can cook to save money. Um, for example, just, just giving our example, um, there are a lot of meals that you can make that are going to be good for leftovers and don't cost a lot of money to make in the first place, depending on the ingredients that you use. So bigger pieces of meat whether you're smoking them or, or broiling them or braising them or roasting them or grilling them are oftentimes a better experience, uh, you know, leaving out things like a, uh, a beef tenderloin, for example, uh, or prime rib. Um, some of those bigger pieces of meat like pork shoulder, uh, etc., can be very cost-effective ways to eat over a period of time. And you can even freeze some of those dishes and, and have them later in a couple of weeks or months. So... I think making a dish like pulled pork with a pork shoulder that weighs five or six pounds. Some of my favorite cooking. Right. Can feed a big family, has leftovers left over, and it still costs less than going out and buying something that's a little more pricey. Mm -hmm. So along those same lines, uh, there's a couple of, uh, of, of, of meals that are cheap but still really good and stretch really far. 
So one would be bean and cheese burritos. And indeed, you're going to find a lot of uh, Hispanic cooking falls into this. Uh, anything that has uh, tortillas or, um, or or lots of, uh, of cheese and rice and beans is going and to stretch. No, without meat, especially, you know, when you have one of those dishes, you're going to be able to save a lot of money. Because mm-hmm. meat is generally the most expensive ingredient in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you can go to the store and you can you can find sales on cheese, especially right now. I don't know if you know this, but there's a cheese surplus in the United States. So right now, if you go to the store, almost all the cheese is about half off what it normally is. So oh, we should be buying some good shit. Well, yeah, but again, it's we'll par- get some Parmigiano Reggiano. It's a perishable item, so it's it's tough to decide how you're gonna you know store it and, and use it. But you know what? I'm sure we can find some. Willing to, to make use. the sacrifice for the good stuff. Yeah, but seriously, go to your local grocer. Fine aged cheddar. Oh yes. You oh, know what we need to do is get some uh, of the spreadable cheddar cheese and put it on burgers. Yeah, Merck's cheddar spread is a good one. Um, I'm just hungry, I guess. <laughs> uh, spaghetti and meatballs is another one that's really good because you can make these meatballs out of pork and beef that aren't that expensive, filled with a lot of filler products that again aren't expensive, like eggs and breadcrumbs. Um, and then you have the spaghetti and pasta is is probably cost two dollars. It's a buck a pound, basically. <laughs> For if you're buying the cheaper brands, and yeah. which is fine, uh, a pound might cost you a dollar or two. Yeah, and then you can feed probably six people with a pound of pasta and a bunch of meatballs and sauce. And so that's one of those meals that definitely spreads out. Under ten dollars, six servings. That's uh, kind of what we're going for here. Yeah, and then a lot of soup. So taco chicken tortilla soup is really good. Stews, or not cost... stews, but uh, chilies too. Yeah, chilies. Chilies are good. Unless chilies you're... get a little expensive if you buy a nice piece of meat, but could hold back on the meat you know don't load it up and it's nice and cheap yeah in general if you're using tomatoes tomato sauce and and beans as sort of your base of the chili then you can throw in just a, a pound of ground beef and, and make it a good chili without having to invest in sirloin or filet mignon or ribeye or something we're gonna like be that. able to make we, we should make like a five dollar chili and use a bunch of stuff from our garden because we'll have a whole bunch of stuff that would go into a chili sure uh, very quickly, uh, vegetable soup, which is a good one, grilled cheese and tomato soup, chicken noodle soup. So you'll, you'll notice I, I say soups a lot. And uh, something that's also especially helpful is, let's say you, you have a, a big chicken. Because you can buy a whole yes. chicken to roast for probably about $6, $7. And or even if you just pick one of the uh, cooked ones up. Because you have no time to cook that night. Well, well, that's not what I was going to say. Because I was going to say you cook the chicken, eat right. the chicken, and then you use the rest of the carcass to create your chicken broth. You can still use the carcass from the uh, rotisserie chicken to do that. Yeah, you're just losing some of the juices, uh, you know, from the from the chicken as it cooks, etc. Sure. Well, you mean like take the raw chi- take take the raw carcass and use that to make your stock. No, I don't mean to confuse anybody out there either. Rotisserie chicken is just fine. It's just it's going to cost more. Like you right. might you might get a three pound chicken for six dollars, whereas you could buy a, a six pound chicken for eight dollars that's raw. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, but I mean you know if you don't have time to cook and stuff, but making stock is actually a good idea because stock is expensive. Yeah, it's like two bucks for a little can of it. So right, and oftentimes if you're making something like a large soup, you need a whole bunch of stuff. You need several quarts of it. Yeah, so, so one good idea, for example, would be to buy a big roast chicken. Go ahead and roast it in your oven. Just throw some lemon and garlic in there and some salt and pepper. 40 cloves of garlic. And, and you're good. Uh, as many cloves of garlic as your family can handle, yeah. Um, Minimum 40. And, and then when you're done with it, and maybe you have some roasted vegetables, let's say, right? And, and you make a big tray of roasted vegetables, which also don't cost very much at your local produce place. 
Then when you're done eating dinner, you just save the leftovers and you can make chicken noodle soup uh, with the stock, the vegetables, and the chicken. And you can have, uh, if you buy a big enough chicken, you can even have uh, tortillas or, or many other different things. So you could have three meals for probably something like $20 um, for a family of six. Oh, yeah. And it's just awesome. I, I just love the way that it stretches like that. So shepherd's pie is also a good one that I like. It's potatoes and, and cheap meat. It was made out of mutton a lot when it was originally made. It's, something that, it's one of those uh, dishes that you introduced me to. I had never experienced shepherd's pie. and mm-hmm. you know It's right up my alley, meat and potatoes. Yep, it's meat and potatoes, basically. <laughs> and you get the that really great thing when you bake the potatoes and they get kind of crispy on the top when you put them in the oven. Because you're baking already cooked mashed potatoes. Um so again, I have a link here for some of those cheap meals if anybody is interested, and we'll we'll throw that in there. So, uh, so what are your favorite cheap meals, uh, Jason, that you've made or that you've had? Um, something that I really like is is ham and potato soup. And my mom used to make it all the time, and I I didn't like it for a long time, and and I was just picky, you know. And then sure. I and then I realized that like um, that it was actually really delicious. <laughs> Just one day it kind of clicks in your head. I, you know, I still think back sometimes and uh, recipes get lost along the way. There's a couple things I think everybody uh, remembers from their childhood. And I think you and I had a similar upbringing in that like our parents didn't have a billion dollars. So they had to make things stretch a little bit too. Right. Yeah. And my mom had a few recipes. Um, and I love when I can make any of the ones from childhood. Like, uh, you know, I've got those recipes. I can make them every once in a while. And uh, it's a good time. They're not all necessarily super cheap. Um, spaghetti is pretty cheap because, you know, make a whole crock pot full of sauce that, that lasts you for like three, four meals. But one of my favorite, uh, of the cheap meals is to make like a potato and sausage skillet sausages, uh, on sale at the store, like in family packs, sometimes like a buck 50, two bucks a pound. Um, the local store over here makes great Italian sausages. So I have that with some potatoes and onions and usually garlic and, you know, whatever seasonings, whatever extras I have around and uh, cook that up in just an iron skillet, cast iron skillet, cook the sausages separate, but um, throw it all together and eat it as a meal. It's one plate meal, one one dish meal. Yeah, not to mention you're basically talking meat and potatoes again. So you can take that and add onions and green peppers and you eggs can and make up it with so many different ways. You can make it a breakfast. Skillet. Oh, dropping an egg even at dinner time, dropping an egg on it. Sure, it, it just kind of lets everything uh, stick together a little bit. Or you could put in a different kind of meat and you could make it almost like a stir fry. Uh, when you add the potatoes, it becomes a very weighty dish, so that fills you up uh, on not a big budget. So it's excellent. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe because we're in the Midwest, we're uh, have you know, lots of farms near us where we can get produce cheap, but, uh, potatoes are one of the cheapest food for like the amount of calories that you get in terms of energy and, uh, you know, how cheap they are, how much, how dense they are, how much you actually get per pound. No, I think potatoes and onions are, are those kinds of things that, that are very cheap to buy in bulk and, and anywhere in the U S really, you can live on potatoes in, in Mars, man. (laughs) Well, that didn't actually happen. (laughs) But it was a great movie. Excuse me? <laughs> um, but yeah, potatoes and onions are super cheap, along with a lot of other root vegetables like carrots, etc. And you can make so many things with potatoes, onions, and carrots. You can you can have that as a base for any kind of a soup or any kind of a stew. And all you have to do is just buy a cheap meat and let it braise for six hours. And or then, celery, onion, and carrot. All of those things. Um, and I think it is cheap kind of throughout the United States because potatoes, onions, and carrots also have the distinction of being among the longest-lasting 
uh, pieces of produce. So you can put them in a dark place uh, and transport them somewhere, and they don't really you know, lose any resiliency traveling across the United States at all. Yeah, just hope that there's no famine. Oh, yes. If there's a potato famine... If then, there's a blight, then you're fucked. Then we know what happens. You're, you're fucked. You're going to drink a lot of whiskey because you don't want to remember. <laughs> so uh, along that line, uh, growing your own herbs and vegetables in a garden, whether it be a rooftop garden or a, an apartment garden just on the window, can be very, very frugal. Uh, growing herbs is one of the easiest things you can do. You can buy one of those long row planter boxes, put it outside the window or on your porch, even if you are living in uh, Chicago or New York or, or Boston or somewhere where you don't actually have a suburban kind of yard where you can have a, a raised bed or a regular garden, you can still have an herb box. You can box. grow basil inside if you had to. Yeah. I mean, the sun is, is always going to be better, but, but you're absolutely right. You can grow herbs inside. And if you're buying basil, parsley, cilantro, rosemary, sage, thyme, whatever, it's going to cost you $2, $3 for a little tiny container of it fresh at your grocery store. Instead of spending $3 every time you want to make a, a pesto, or when it's going to be a lot more than three. It's more than three, yeah. If you're making a pesto. I don't make pesto off-season. Like, basil grows like a weed almost. It, you'll get a ton of it by the end of the year, and you can just make so much pesto. In fact, I, last year, made a whole bunch of it and then froze it into ice cubes. Right. So that you could just uh, portion out the frozen stuff. Uh, and it was delicious. And so uh, higher cost items like herbs, uh, even though they shouldn't be, I don't feel like, they, they do have a growing season, which is probably why they cost so much throughout the year. Um, other vegetables that you can grow like lettuce, bell peppers, squash, and tomatoes are also very high priced items that you can grow in your garden for a fraction of the cost. Because all you really need is good soil, usually with one of those uh, fertilizer bags where it has like the slow release uh, fertilizer so you don't have to go out and spend more money. Um, and, and good seeds, which only cost three or $4 for a packet. So if you have those two things and you have water and time and sun, which I understand, and we're asking a lot here, <laughs> water, time, and sun. We're asking pe the people of the internet to go outside. <laughs> um, if you were to grow those things, then, then squash, winter and summer squash, bell peppers. I've seen like red bell pepper go for four or $5, uh, per pound. And that's just exorbitant pricing. And with a couple of plants here, we'll probably harvest 15 pounds of bell peppers. Well, I certainly hope so. That's fantastic. They'd be, they, that would be good plants, but I think five pounds of plant throughout the growing season, it probably isn't too much to ask for. No, and there you go right there. So you're getting way more uh, worth out of, uh, way more value out of that than going to the store and just buying their old produce that was shipped in on a truck, maybe pumped in full of chemicals. And besides, that's kind of like a thing, it, it's a hobby anyways, is gardening like mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily garden just to save money it's it's a hobby you you enjoy it as you do it um and that's you know we can discuss that later about being frugal like picking hobbies that are frugal and that gardening is certainly one of them we well, yeah, get money back from it but i think people might actually do it out of necessity and then whether or I'm not sh of course some people do whether or not they're good at it of course is going to determine if they like it or not <laughs> there's such a thing as not having a green thumb which in my opinion just means not reading the instructions or following directions <sighs> right um uh, another tip is to prepare your lunch at night so everyone knows you know at least i do and all of my friends that you're not going to have time for it when you wake up in the morning because you're going to be five minutes behind the moment you wake up so you're not going to be able to go to the fridge and make yourself a sandwich or leftovers from the previous night. So making your lunch at night is one of the best things you can do. And I've 
I've over the years having worked in many office jobs, I've got I've gotten pretty good at bringing my lunch a couple times a week, but I never got to the point where I was bringing it every day. And I look at how much money it actually costs to to go eat out every single day. Yeah. You can save thousands of dollars over the course of a year, and that's just on a regular budget of spending like, I don't know, let's say uh 8 or 9 bucks per meal in a in a Chicago suburb like we live in. And that's very typical. Right. So, uh when you look at that, it, it's almost you have to, you know, bring some food at least once or twice a week because that's saving you enough money to go out and, and have a vacation. You know, it's crazy. Um, another tip is to skip the appetizers at a restaurant. So the appetizers and the drinks, the alcoholic drinks specifically. Oh, Dave, that's advice that you can never follow. Well, <laughs> you're a big appetizer lover. Well, in addition to that, another frugal tip is to uh, to share plates. So I do that sometimes with that's, my girlfriend. Yeah, that's very common. And and uh, you know a lot of times the restaurants will give you big huge portions if you're going out to a place that's not fine dining. Shout out to Village Tavern, gigantic portions. Absolutely. And so you're going to have enough food. You know you're probably even going to bring home some food. So you skip the appetizer because you're going to spend eight dollars and ninety nine cents on those mozzarella sticks, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's breadcrumbs and cheese. I mean, how much does it cost them to make? The highest margins in the restaurant are on drinks and appetizers. And that's because they want to capture those people that are there for a short amount of time. And heck, I don't even I can't even count the amount of times I went to a restaurant for drinks and appetizers. So I'm just feeding into the machine here. <laughs> and and believe me, I like feeding into the machine. It's delicious. But uh you understand where Speaking I'm going. Of deliciousness. We just cracked another beer. You should uh Empty your glass soon. Will do. So uh, your thoughts on those last ones before we move on to the Game of Thrones uh, bomber that you just popped? Yes, I definitely, you know, approve of the, uh, you can go ahead and skip the appetizers. They are delicious, but you're right. Like, it's, it's I don't know, there, there are very few appetizers you get it. You're like, wow, this was totally worth the money. I'm really glad I got this. Most of the time you say, oh, I got the appetizer and now I don't want to finish my entree. Yeah, and, and it just you have to go in there thinking, I'm just going to have the entree. Um, and in fact, you could even have dessert afterwards and it's still more frugal than having the appetizer. You know, I wish that places uh, gave bread as often as they used to. It used to be like when we were kids and we went to a restaurant, almost every place you went would put a basket of bread on the plate on the table yeah they still do in uh in like really big steakhouses and and some of the fine dining establishments yes but now if you go to those places you are not living frugally at least not for that evening no one of my my favorite restaurants to go to though when i do go out to like a sort of a mid-range restaurant like chili's fridays that kind of place is outback steakhouse because outback steakhouse has these deals all the time where you get like a sirloin steak and lobster tail or sirloin steak and shrimp and they serve us really nice brown bread and, oh, I love the brown bread at Outback. Yeah, and you know what? Like, they're not that expensive. If you go there and you don't get, like, a million cocktails, you just get an entree, you get the bread, and then you get the entree, and you don't need anything else. That's my uh, work work dinner of choice is what we where we go. So, I it's mean... It's a solid... Solid place. Sure, and I'm not saying it's it's going to win any awards when you're when you're putting it up against like really nice restaurants that aren't franchises. But best franchise bloomin' onion. It's there it's, you go. It's, that's your wins, award. It wins that award. Yes, fantastic. So, what are you pouring there exactly? Can you describe it in detail? Of course. So, from Omegang, uh, we have the Game of Thrones Iron Throne Blonde Ale, a 6.5 percent per alcohol per volume. Um, ale brewed with grains of paradise and lemon peel. So grains of paradise, um, I know, is like a spice kind of, or 
No, I'm thinking of uh, Herbe de Provence. Yes. Uh, Grains of Paradise is uh, is a spice. Um, and I guess it is something uh, grown from West Africa on a leafy plant. And I guess it is is kind of a, a peppery, uh, warm, spicy sort of uh, taste. Okay, so this blonde ale with malty sweetness and a touch of fruity spiciness. Noble hop aromas and notes of citrus suitable to serve kings or pretenders to the Iron Throne. All right, Dave. There you go. Well, thank you, sir. Well, let's enjoy this for a moment. So your thoughts? Oh, it's a Belgian. That's for sure. Um, I uh, forgot that it would be a Belgian ale. We were, so, just, we were uh, just talking it was, about... It was slightly shocking. I needed a moment to catch up with the beer. The yeast is... So right. that I can appreciate it in the right way. The I yeast. was thinking that it would be more of an ale. So I'm like, okay. I didn't read the label correctly. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> it's a Belgian ale. <laughs> so... That is that an important said, detail for sure. Let me try it again. Oh, that taste was much better. Very smooth. Very good. I always like the yeasty aftertaste of the Belgians, but sometimes it's too much. I feel like this one is uh, is pretty well balanced. And I, we've had almost all of the Game of Thrones bombers. Yeah, we've had these around for a while. i got to be honest. This is bought more because it's the Game of Thrones beer, obviously. If I was looking for a particular Belgian, I may have gone somewhere else. Um, it is good, though. It's not like the best one I've had. Um but I do like the Game of Thrones beers. In general, there's a couple of them that were uh, a little sketchy. But this is top three of those, I'd say. Well, it's a series. Pretty good. I, uh, I'm i not talking about Game of Thrones. I'm talking about the beers. And, we're only giving beer spoilers tonight. And uh, I, I like a lot of beers from Oma Gang. So one of my favorites is Hennepin. And that's one of the ones that I liked uh, when I was first drinking craft beers. Um, I gave a couple to uh, to my dad. Uh, and, and he said he liked them. Uh, of course, I found out later that he's way more of a fan of Scotch Ales and Porters and Stouts <laughs> and not really the, uh, the lighter, um, you know, more, uh, uh, more hoppy or it, suffice to say uh, that I think this is a good beer. But you're right. It's, it's not going to win. Um, it's not going to win the award of, of the best Belgian that was out there this year or anything. And I don't know how long ago it came out because the Game of Thrones beers come out every season when the when the Game of Thrones season is just about to begin. Uh, I think so. So the Seven Kingdoms is the one that's out right now. The Hoppy Wheat Ale. Um, I think we had that one a few weeks ago. Um, it was all right. I really liked the Saison. We had the Dark Saison, I think, about a week and a half ago. That was most excellent. But we have this one. Uh, we have the uh, the Take the Black Stout, I think. That's what uh, That's the hennepin is. Is um, it's a uh, farmhouse saison, mm. and I guess farmhouse. You should try hennepin. I don't think I've actually had it. Ah, oh, it's good, and uh, I don't know if it's named after, but it's uh, it's similar to a Grateful Dead song. <laughs> really, what 
What Grateful Dead song? I have no idea. I just wanted you to, to look it up and, and get the blood flowing in the brain. There's Hennepin County where Minneapolis is. Okay. That's what I'm finding right now. That's good enough for me. Okay. Is this a connection we're making here? We're, we're connecting dots? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's go back on track. Uh, so... Talking about, uh, again tonight, uh, frugal living and uh, not everything that you should do and, and, and perform exactly the way that things are outlined for you, too. You shouldn't look at the, the world as things that cost money and things that don't. Um, but there are definitely guidelines that you could follow loosely that could help your overall experience and maybe add some cash to the savings account. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about budgeting. So even if you don't have a job that's paying you six figures, or say you uh, live in a, in a high-cost area like San Francisco or Seattle or uh, Chicago or New York, saving money is not an impossibility. Even if you don't make a whole lot of money, there's always ways to save it. So creating a budget for yourself is the easiest way to pace out the money that you want to save each pay period without necessarily getting rid of any of the creature comforts that we all enjoy uh, living in the United States. And there's a lot of them. In fact, there's so many comforts that you can purchase <laughs> that it's surprising that everyone is not broke. Possibly too many. And, and you can find someone that would argue that pretty much everyone is broke. Um, but really, like if you want to be an adult and like have your shit under control, you need to use a budget. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't use one in, when I was a young adult and it really, you know, got me into trouble a few times. So I would say that, uh, you know, that is like one of the hallmarks of like being able to handle your own shit. Yeah. And I think what, what is important is, is no one is saying that you need to sacrifice fun and that's, that's not something you should do. You, you should budget fun into the, you know, greater, <laughs> you should have a fun picture. budget. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to link to a, a sample budget here in the article. Um, that you guys can look at and use. And what's cool about this is it even has the uh, the tax brackets in there, so you can plug in everything. And if you want to add additional expenses or change the ones that are on there, you can do that. This is not a fully featured application. I'm not selling this to you uh, with like delusions of grandeur. It is what it needs to be. It's something that's going to basically tell you like a min-max of your expenses and then what you have left over to use for something like a savings account or a fund budget. Um, so you said that you just started a budget when you became an adult. So let's let's figure out <laughs> when when was that exactly? Um, I probably started doing a budget every single week about mm, six or seven years ago. Okay. So uh, after you did that, did you did you find that you no longer ran out of money? Because when I was in my younger twenties, for example. Uh, not that I'm in my 20s any longer, but I'm, I'm, I like to think that I am. So <laughs> Your 20s in your heart. When I was in my younger 20s... I may be 33, but I'm still 29 at heart. <laughs> I, uh, I, I would occasionally find myself in an overdraft sort of situation or spending money that I don't really have. Um, and a lot of that is credit cards, etc. But so have you had any, any issues um, in this past six years? Or have you been able to sort of just um, finally be able to to live without having the danger of, of running out of funds well i've certainly ran out of funds in the past few years um you know like when my car needed a new engine 
I didn't just have $5,000 sitting around to fix it. You know, one of the uh, things... Which that, is unfortunate, because when you run a budget, you should be saving. Well, one of the things they tell you, uh, and I'll get back to your story in just a second, but one of the things they tell you that you should do as an adult, if at all possible, uh, is to have a savings of at least three months of whatever your job is uh, that you're earning. So that if you uh, get laid off, or if you get evicted, or if something terrible happens, like your engine, for example, yeah. you'd be able to afford it. Now, I'd be the first to admit that I don't have that so i wouldn't feel bad out there if you don't have it either remember this that it's important to start budgeting and saving not it's not important when you do it because if you haven't done it up to this point you can't do anything to change that you just have to start and that's sort of what i had to learn is that just start doing it and then you keep on doing it now every time i get paid i get out the budget i write it out for the next two weeks um so it, it it's not that I always have money now because, you know, I don't make a ton of money. I, I It's possible uh, that you don't want to have any extra spending money. But what it does allow me uh, is to make sure that I always have the money for the things that I have to pay. All of my bills and stuff like that. I make sure that I always have that money so I never have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, necessities and it, like, are necessities. It, it, it was a great stress relief. Once I finally got used to the budget and the process... Of it, I never had to worry about it anymore. I used to always worry like, oh, well, I think I have this much money or I think I have that or hopefully there's still enough in there. Um, and oh, crap, I forgot about this bill. Sure. Now, every week or every two weeks, every twice a month, uh, you know, I, I'm used to the budgeting process so that I will go and I will pay all my bills and you can do everything very easily. It's an efficient way to live your life. Right. And, and it's funny because uh, a long time ago, uh, in my perspective anyway, uh, when, when kids were in school, they would learn uh, all about budgeting and finances and they would learn how to balance their checkbooks and, and then they would do that. And so our parents um, and our grandparents, like I've mentioned multiple times in the show already, uh, they followed those sorts of guidelines. And they would always have their checkbook and they would write everything down in it and they knew how much money they had. And nowadays I feel like people are, are very free spirits and, and uh, somewhat irresponsible for, for better or for worse. You know, uh, it is good to be not all self-contained within this rigmarole and, and thinking that you have to uh, abide by only what, what life allows you to do. Um, <laughs> however, it's also not good to, to just spend money haphazardly and then find out later that you're overdrafted by $50 because you weren't paying attention to what it was that you spent. I think everyone needs to learn a little bit more when they're growing up about you know taking care of their finances and stuff. I, I had like an eight-week consumer ed class in high school, and that was it. Yeah, they don't do so much uh, for that anymore. And, yeah. and since in, in high school, at least I know our experiences were – uh, mostly just kind of uh, not being adults. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and a lot of people in different places in the world, they might have to be adults when they're, when they're 11 years old. You know, they have to go out and work and all this stuff, and, and that's not how it was or how it is, I believe, for a large portion of society in the United States. Um, so we got that sample budget link that you can look at, or there's lots of budget applications that you can use for your phone, for iOS, for Android. Maybe I'll put a couple links to those in the articles as well. Um, one that a lot of people recommended to me was uh, a program called Mint, which was actually bought by Quicken several years ago, and now allows you to link up your actual accounts to the software, and then you can see where things go and what percentage of your money is spent on what sort of stuff. So if you go to the bar all the time, you run your, your uh, income through Mint and find out that you spend 40% of it at bars, Oh boy! then you know, you know what you need to cut down on. Uh, yeah. 
So you were talking about uh, big expenses, you know, maybe ruining a budget or uh, diving into the savings in order to save yourself from that kind of situation. Uh, my question is, what are the biggest expenses that uh, you might have that some people might deem unnecessary? Um, well, I suppose that there's the beer. You know, I like to spend money on beer. Um, and so then there's... It's kind know, of like a hobby then, right? I... I don't. I, I suppose. Well, you could say it's that, research for the podcast. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't think you. I don't. It's not like you're drinking every day, so I, I wouldn't say that you're doing it to your detriment. But if if you are buying beer, like that specifically craft beer, and investigating like all kinds of different craft beers, which we do, um, then it's sort of like a hobby, isn't it? Um. Yes, it definitely is. It, it most certainly is. Um. Just like smoking the cigars and stuff, and getting into that sort of. Oh, sort, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's, I, I suppose anybody who's into a certain hobby is gonna be fully justified spending money on whether it's, you know, whether I spend way too much money on disc golf compared to other people, or drinking beer, um, or you know, any other extracurriculars that well, may come across. As as a guy who uh, who does websites for a living, basically, you know, I I like analytics, and because I use Google Analytics all the time, and one of the most important markers and identifiers for how a website is doing is the percentages of that website's referral traffic. And I relate that a little bit to uh, like your income and what you're spending money on on a percentage basis. So if your website is getting 50% of its traffic from organic search, that's a really important factoid about your website that yeah. should should give you a lot of information about how to move forward and what and, and why that's happening, etc. So if you're spending 50% of your income on a certain category... Then maybe that's a bad idea. <laughs> you, or you at least need to investigate what's going on there. Like... If you spend 50% of your money on rent, maybe you're living in too expensive of an area. Well, yeah, and, and again, people would tell you, especially with mortgages, et cetera, you're only supposed to spend something like uh, 29%, if I remember correctly, uh, on your mortgage payment or rent payment, et cetera. The thing yeah. that where you live, that's the, the place you live in. That makes me feel comfortable because I'm, I'm currently living uh, way under the 29% level. Sure. So... If I had to go live somewhere more expensive, I feel like I could afford it still. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you look up that kind of stuff, I'm, we're not going to get really into credit card payments and housing because that's just another category I'm not an expert in. Um, although I would encourage you guys all to go out and check those out. Searching on Google can tell you a lot. Uh, also, there's a great community on Reddit, which is just in the subreddit Frugal. Um, and they have a lot of good, interesting advice. Um, some of it is relevant and some of it is crazy, but you know, like I said, you're supposed to exist within the space between these things. <laughs> Frugal is a little crazy, but has lots of good tips. So, uh, we, we have, uh, some other tips as far as budgeting is concerned. Uh, one of them is to go cash only. So if you're out somewhere with your friends, uh, you're going to a bar or you're going to a restaurant or you're going to a concert or you're going to wherever, uh, if you just bring cash with you and and say I'm going to spend this amount of money, um, this is kind of like a instant budget situation, which is what a lot of smart people do. If you don't bring credit cards with you, then you can't spend any money on them. So if you only bring the cash that you have available to spend, then you're only going to be able to spend that. Now, uh, let's be honest; it's probably not a good idea to go out with some kind of money that you can that you can use in an extenuating circumstance. If you need a cab, emergency funds, sure. But the idea is don't bring all your credit cards with you. Don't bring your ATM card with you, maybe. Just bring the money you want to spend, and that's all you'll spend. That's all you can spend. So that's a good strategy, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I always, 
I always thought about things like that and thought, well, if I'm not going to be responsible enough to take care of it anyways, then I shouldn't be doing it. However, <laughs> that being said, uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't do things to help yourself. And that's something that will help you be responsible. Right. Um, setting long-term goals. That's really cool. It doesn't have to be a super long-term goal, but let's talk about saving. So if you're saving even 2% of, of what it is that you make per month, that's still money you're saving in an account. It's and, money you weren't saving before. And if you set some, some goals that aren't that uh, big, then you can start to save for other things and you get a little bit more momentum. So for me, for example, uh, one of the some big purchases that I tend to make are guitars, electronics, computers. And if I save for something for a long time, then I'm able to purchase it with, with cash, real money, not just credit cards or right. uh, or fake money. <laughs> fake uh, money. Then it, it feels really good and rewarding that you were able to put it aside for that long. I think that you also maybe take a little bit better care of it. You feel a little bit more ownership for it. Well, because you bought it. Anything you bought. Exactly. Yeah, and, or that you saved up There's a long time. There's just benefits all down the line. Yeah. So uh, finding a reachable goal uh, should be an easier way for you to start saving. And let's say you're out there and you already have $50,000 in your savings account, which a lot of people do uh, that are our age or older, and that's fine. But your long-term goal then... I don't then, think a lot of people do. I'm going to try and find this stat. Sorry, keep going. Well, a lot of subjective, right? So your, your long-term goal uh, is going to be different from buying a guitar or a PlayStation or a computer or saving up for a car or a house or whatever that your long-term goal is going to be more like uh, buying a rental property that you can you know, turn around and use as an income source or buying, uh, a, a, let's say, a, a giant yacht. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is that you're looking for, you're, you're saving for, you need to have that goal and then actually think about it and picture it and image it in your head. And, and once you have it and once you reach it, then it's worth that much more. Um, if you're looking up information, uh, I'm not sure if you found anything uh, viable. Uh, well, the only group that has 20% or more of 10000 in savings or more are seniors. So that's 20% of seniors have at least 10000 or more saved. Okay. Well, that every group, every age group below that goes down all the way to millennials, which is only 7.5%. When I say a lot, I mean a lot of people. I don't mean I know you don't mean a majority wise. or anything like that, but... I mean, this stat here, uh, 62% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account. 21% don't even have a savings account. I used to be part of the... I have a retirement account, but I don't have a savings account. I used to be part of the latter and the former. Do you have a savings account as well? Uh, it depends on what you would refer to as a savings account. I have my retirement account, which I, I is not really for emergency funds. It's, it's, it's for the, only the most dire emergency. It wouldn't be for, oh, I need to fix something. That's not how those funds are accessed. Well, no, I think one of the more interesting things about us doing this podcast is that you and I, although you said that you like to be frugal, are not necessarily frugal people in example and behavior. So Not in everything. I try to be no, I, you know, I, I in understand. a lot of stuff. I'm, but I'm not attacking you and calling you... No, like you, I said uh, earlier, it's... Um, it, you be frugal in certain places so that you don't necessarily need to be otherwise. But it's... It's all. I would say yes. I'm lazy, and therefore, when I'm lazy, I'm never frugal. Well, and there are so many things that we could have done when we were younger, when we were working, etc., to save more money. Both of us are oh, probably yeah. in a similar situation. I like to use 
this app called Acorns. I think it's really neat. I don't have a savings account, but I do have a retirement account. And I like Acorns as sort of a savings account. The difference there is that if the stock market uh, was to tank, and I do have you know a uh, uh, diversified portfolio, but if it was to tank, then I would lose a bunch of money. If you have money in a savings account, then it doesn't change based on the stock market's performance. Um, right. So uh, ideally, you know, if I was making twice as much money, I would definitely be putting a lot of money into a savings account. But I, I am not currently. I would like to think that I'm comfortable worth where I'm living now. If I made twice as much money, I'd be able to save almost half of it. But as but I said of before, course, reality is different. We could still save more money. Uh, both of us could. Spending things on, on items like beer and electronics is, is just what we like to do. Right. I mean, you know, we go out, we go to the bar, we go to uh, breweries and experience life. It's the spring slash summer in Chicago. Like, I am compelled to go out places now. Huh, very nice. Uh, so distinguishing between needs and wants is very important. So if you're thinking about a purchase, do you really want that purchase? Will it impact your life positively? Is it just a stupid thing that you saw on a commercial and you're really interested in now? Uh, giving yourself a what's called a cooling off period is really important, I think. So that's uh, you're going to buy a television or a, a game system or a guitar uh, or even a bigger purchase like a car or a house. Well, you should wait uh, probably a day or two thinking about that before you actually purchase it. Because... The rule of thumb that I like to take is that um, for middle range purchases, not things under $100, not things like over several thousand dollars, um, I would say you take you do at least like waiting slash researching period of one day per hundred dollars. So if I'm gonna spend five hundred dollars on a laptop, I'm gonna like probably look at things all week long before I make a decision. Well, that's very arbitrary, but that's your process. It is very arbitrary. That... I feel like I do it does uh, probably make me wait longer than most people would but well everyone should have a process and, and the important part is, is just thinking about a big purchase before immediately spending the money don't impulse buy yeah. leave impulse buys to the gas station and the grocery store and <laughs> make them all less than five dollars uh shopping with a list and only with a list otherwise you're picking up items that you don't want that you don't need uh i can't imagine all the times or that... forgetting things that you do need Right. And so in general, that's just a better thing to do. If you're going to go to the grocery store, uh, I think most of us plan it. We don't just like spur of the moment decide when driving down the road that we need to hit up, you know, Meyer. <laughs> it's not usually what happens. So usually you make a plan you, before you're leaving somewhere. You're like, I am going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to buy stuff for the week or I'm going to buy things that I need for lunches or whatever. Um, so when you're going there, you should have a list. And I don't care if it's a big list. Or a little list doesn't really matter. Although some people will tell you that you should not have a list that's less than ten items, because if you have a list that's less than ten items, then you shouldn't go to the grocery store. Interesting. Um, anyway, you're going out there, and if you don't have a list with you, then you're just going to buy all the things that you're you're looking at and interested in, in picking up at the time. That's uh, goes hand in hand with another great tip, which is to never go to the grocery store hungry. Oh, well, that happens to me all the time. You well, know. I mean, you could combat that, right? You could, If you go at a specific time or something, then you could always make sure to have some kind of snack on hand that you could eat before you go, for example. Sure, and or, or if you're able to plan ahead more. Like, uh, usually what I'm doing is I'm going shopping to buy food for the evening. Right. Because, you know, I live two and a half blocks away from a grocery store. So I'm going to end up going there all the time instead of making 
the once or twice weekly trip, you know, when I was a kid, we had a family of six, so there was tons of food to buy. So we had to plan out the trips and like you would go to Costco once a month and you would go to Cub Foods every week. And uh, maybe you'd go to the other grocery store like once or twice a week. But for the most part, you're only going to go like once a week because it's such a huge ordeal. Yeah, my family had three children. So in that were very similar and we had big grocery outings where we'd spend hundreds of dollars uh, and... There was a stretch there where we never spent less than two hundred dollars at the grocery store. Sure, I saw I've seen like a six hundred dollar grocery bill before. It's crazy. Uh, and the other thing is the the shopping carts keep getting bigger at every store you go to. So whether it be Costco or Target, they're like rocket ships now, basically. And especially Costco, they didn't used to be that large. Everything just grows larger, just like the large and extra large drinks do at fast food places. The the drinks that used to be. Um, Whenever I get a medium, I'm always like, I'm pretty sure this is not a medium. The drinks that used to be larges are now like smalls, and we've replaced the uh, the large size with basically like a, a, a bucket, a, probably like a pitcher. Worth it's of... idiocracy. It's all <laughs> idiocracy. Yeah. So uh, so another tip is to not take the shopping cart. So if you're going to a store like you mentioned, uh, just to pick up a couple items. Then don't get the shopping cart. Just uh, grab the stuff you need with your hands or use a small basket. Small baskets are your friend. Which they provide. And then when it gets too full, you can't put anything else in it. You're not going to buy lots of heavy things if you have to carry the thing around. And so that will artificially stop you from purchasing more items. Yeah. Um, One last thing about budgeting is it's important to give yourself some kind of an allowance every week or every month. Uh, for extra spending money. And that could be your fun budget or that could be your extracurricular budget. budget, whatever you want to refer to it as. But it's very important that uh, you give yourself this budget and then don't go over it. So you're not just digging back into the accounts. Right. Uh, if you ignore the budget, then all you're doing is wasting your time and coming up with the budget in the first place. Yeah. So uh, if you're going to spend your valuable time to try to figure out a plan for yourself, please keep in mind, one... You don't want to waste your own time. Two, That's another thing that you should be careful with. You should be frugal with. Your time. Your time. Uh, so no television for anyone. Just stop watching television. It is not productive. And you could be doing many more interesting things. Shit. That's <laughs> uh, fun time. So, um, so give yourself an allowance and try not to spend that allowance. Uh, and it's okay, of course, that your budget can move around a little bit. It's not like you're we're expecting everyone to immediately agree upon these numbers that will work out of the box. It doesn't work like that. It's not magic. Um, but eventually you should oh, if settle. if this isn't magic, then what are we doing here? <laughs> you should settle upon some kind of, uh, of, of a number system that works for you where you can still save an amount of money and spend all you need for your necessities and your fun budget. And if you can't do that, then I guess you need to move to somewhere that's cheaper than you currently are. <laughs> I guess you need to move. That's if it's a choose-your-own-adventure, then you go to page 17, which is move to Detroit. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got any more beers over there, Dave? Do you want the, uh, the Cascade IPA or the regular IPA? I think I'd do the Cascade. I'm loving the aluminum can variety packs. I see that's 7.3% alcohol by volume. I don't have to drive tonight. (laughs) I don't even have to drive a garbage can to the curb. 
But while you're pouring that, I'm going to get into a little bit about energy. So most people have to pay for their utilities, uh, water, gas, electric, and, and some other ones too, but not ones that directly affect uh, actual uh, energy costs or reflect rather. Um, so those people that live in apartments that get free water or free, um, free electric or free gas or all of those, you should be very happy because right now the energy services that are provided to us are actually quite expensive. And depending on what area you live in, and how you manage your house and your surroundings, it is rather expensive to the point where it, it could actually break people's budgets in, in some portions of the year. So obviously you know that if you have uh, an AC system, the electric in the summer is going to be really high. Right. Imagine if like your electric costs or you know gas costs suddenly doubled or tripled. If it cost you three times as much to heat your home over the winter as it did last year. That, that happens in some areas where they have, like, older systems. Like, in the Northeast, a lot of people use uh, heating oil uh, instead of a direct uh, gas line to your house. And just a couple years ago, the prices on that skyrocketed, and lots of people found themselves in that situation where they're suddenly paying three times as much money to stay warm all winter. And then they had to move to Detroit. So you don't want to be one of those people, basically. <laughs> At least Detroit has plenty of lead in their water. <laughs> Uh, if you're just joining us, we, we are uh, the Drink 5 Network from drink5.com. Uh, this is the Retro Spectacle Podcast, but we have many others in our repertoire. And you can go back and listen to them all on drink5.com or mixler.com slash drink5. That's M-I-X-L-R. And during any of these podcasts, if you are interested, you can come join us live and actually chat with us and, and add some to the discussion. We might not agree with you. You but, can talk to us online, too. But we're, we're what do you mean? I thought you were just inviting people over to hang out during the show. Oh no, no. I, I would actually I would rather that uh that you didn't come over to our house because that would be creepy. And I, I was gonna say if you know where we are, but then yeah, that's that could be a little creepy. <laughs> Hello, ding dong. I think there's someone. Oh, there's the door. someone right there behind you. <laughs> uh so listen to us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher, and if you are listening to us in one of those places right now, we'd love a review. Uh that would be fantastic. Whether it be good or bad, honestly I just want to know your opinion. Uh, I'm not going to excommunicate you over it, or if you're an atheist, I'm not going to uh, uh, convert not, you, baptize not, you. Uh, would that be the bad thing? Is converting you back to uh, to a religion? Like forced baptism <laughs> would be like the worst thing for an atheist, right? What's well, the default? So, so if you are atheist, then I'm not going to convert you to uh, to become Wiccan or something. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so the next thing we're talking about on our frugal discussion is energy savings. Uh, if you had to pick between gas and electric for a year, which would you choose? I saw this question a little earlier, and my knee-jerk reaction didn't have to think about it. I would take electric because you can't run the internet on gas. Correct. <laughs> well, actually, there there are gas-powered uh, um, uh, uh, generators that that could then run your electric things, but that's that's totally. But a cop you're out. talking about natural gas. That's a cop out here, right? So. <laughs> You can get an electric heater and you can get electric appliances. I hate electric appliances. A gas heater and gas water heater and gas stoves are the way to go. I think that they're much more efficient. It's way cheaper to operate. However, you can substitute electric for that stuff. So I would much rather pick electric for a year if I had to pick between them. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is kind of a, a faulted question because you can do everything that gas can do to a point with electric, but you can't do everything that electric can do with gas. Well, here's the thing. 
If it wasn't for the internet, I may lean towards gas just to have a nice quiet year. <laughs> just enjoy yourself, spend a lot of time outside. Because you could survive like with gas, like you'd be fine. I wonder who your replacement will be. <laughs> <laughs> so blackout curtains can trap heat in the winter and keep light and heat out during the summer. In fact, they uh, like ten to twenty five percent of thermal energy escapes through windows. So if you're if you're blacking that out, which I've had the experience of several times in both houses and hotels. When I was over in the Philippines for work, for example, uh, they they have super sunny days and and I don't know if it was just the place I was in or whatever um not to mention the fact that I worked opposite hours so super sunny days would not be good when I'm trying to sleep but uh the blackout curtains they actually keep it cooler by a lot of degrees in the winter I'm uh, sorry the summer and then the opposite for the winter right they keep the sun from warming up the room in the in the summer and yeah. keep all the heat that you have generated in in the winter and so they're they're kind of cool they can be expensive it's it's sort of an eyesore in like a, a well-decorated room but there's maybe in your bedroom or something you would want something like that where you can just get rid of all the light um warning there, you will sleep all day <laughs> well, if you, you're not careful if you don't have an alarm you won't know what, what the heck time it is it is really easy to wake up with the sun if you leave your windows open or leave your curtains open um but yeah i I prefer blackout, like especially because of the energy saving reasons that you pointed out. Well, you should you should check it out then because uh, they are usually pretty expensive. But there's some places now where you can buy blackout curtains for a room for like twenty dollars. Solid. Um, of course, you have to you have to make sure that you're not getting the vinyl because apparently there are some possible health risks to using vinyl curtains in front of the sun in a window. It can actually put things into the like air, fumes into the air that are not good for your health. It's like old school. Uh, blinds that contain lead so when little kids would just put their mouths on them they would get lead poisoning remember when asbestos was just a word that sounded cool oh and it wasn't the thing that caused mesothelioma <laughs> uh gaps in the foundation of a house or around the windows and doors especially can seriously affect heating and cooling costs this seems very self-explanatory however there are a lot of homes in the u.s and other places in the world that they don't go out and fix those problems. They're just like, why does the air not really work? Sure. I mean, look, this happens. However, lots of things are self-explanatory, but they don't, they're don't. they not that way until they're explained to you. So you buy weather stripping for your doors because there's always going to be a gap there. Uh, you know, you look at the windows. One of these interesting tricks that I, that I discovered was you can buy sort of a, a cheap laser thermometer. Those are the kinds that you use in cooking or in other purposes to see how hot a surface is. And you can go around to your uh, your windows and the foundation of your house and the doors, and you can measure the surface area to see if it's noticeably cooler than the rest, in which case you probably have some kind of an issue depending on uh, the discrepancy. Right. So, you can use it to find uh, like cracks or leaks or anything, you know, places that need more insulation. Yeah. And in the winter, one of the best things you can do, even if you do have a house where there's a lot of, uh, of thermal energy leaking through the windows or directly being a leak or crack, uh, old windows especially are just, they're just taking the heat or the, the, the cool air in your house and it's just flushing out of, of the house. And in going with the frugal theme, being able to spend one time money in order to improve the heating and cooling of your house is very worthwhile. Otherwise, you're spending money all the time to do that. For instance, um, when I was a kid, I my room was above our garage, and the garage was not well insulated. And on the cold days in winter, I would actually have frost on the floor of my room. Yeah. 
it would get that cold on the floor in my room. So all my dad did was put a two inch piece of styrofoam on the ceiling, you know, cover the entire ceiling of the garage with two inches of styrofoam insulation, essentially. And it made the room probably 30 degrees warmer. Yeah, so little things you can do can really affect things a great deal. And the other tip that I was going to provide is that in the winter, you can buy these sheets that uh, seem like saran wrap, but they're differently designed than that. They go right over the windows because it's not like you're going to open up the windows when it's February. They're little heat shrink stuff. So you just take a a blow dryer or a heat gun and lightly... uh, warm up the edges so that it really forms a seal yeah and that basically negates any loss that you would have from a badly uh, manufactured window or an old house that has old window installations it, basically if you have an old house the best thing to do to get better energy is to weather strip the doors and replace the windows because it's almost guaranteed that old windows are going to have a lot of air leaks in them that's just what happens you open and close them they're installed already in uh in, in a section of the house that's going to adjust you know to uh to humidity and, and everything else so that's just going to happen um Using a pressure cooker for meals rather than the traditional method of an oven or a range saves about 70% of those energy costs because it takes 70% less time uh, to actually make the meals. Um, See, that is incredible. Um, I forgot that that is like totally true because you made, I believe it was mashed potatoes in the pressure cooker, and it took like five minutes. Yeah, it takes five minutes, although it does have to be turned on to, to like Once boil the pressure and, gets up, yeah. So let's say 15 minutes. Once it's ready, the cooking time is five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was incredibly impressive. And like I never thought about that as something that would totally save energy as well. Absolutely. And we don't use it as much as we should, but, but I mean... It's well, just... on a hot summer day, you don't want to have like a boiling pot of water because it just makes the house hot and humid. But you can use a pressure cooker because it's being used for a third of the time at most well the pressure cooker i think in my opinion is one of the cooler accessories in the kitchen that people really don't use in the u.s um and part of that reason is because we never really had to the other part is because uh back in the 70s and stuff when they were coming out in the 80s uh the pressure cookers weren't well manufactured and they would blow up and like (laughs) there would be injuries related to pressure cooking and like people would get knocked out and like things bad would happen but in other that's how they cook your kfc (laughs) yeah It's in pressure fryers. Well, and that's the best way to fry a chicken, too, because it, it just happens immediately. And when you're cooking food in a pressure cooker, uh, you use less liquid that you would than you would otherwise to have the same amount or better amount of moistness in the actual... So it saves uh, energy and water. Yep. So it's it's an excellent uh, frugal way to cook your meals. Not to mention the it's fact... It's earth-friendly. Not to mention the fact that you can simply cook things in less time. So uh, you're making braised short ribs or chili or, or fried chicken or whatever... It won't take you four hours. It'll just take you 45 minutes or 30 minutes. Anyway, the cool thought uh, that I had when I was doing some research was, um, or not thought, but fact that I found, uh, was that pressure cookers have been relevant in other societies for a really long time. So in places like India and other places where the power grid is not as stable over long periods of time, uh, they tend to use these forms of cooking more than the way that we do uh, which is like a longer, slower way of, of making things. So not only is it quicker, uh, but it's also, like you said, it uses less energy yeah. and uh, less dishes and less pots. And, and, and all in all, it, for a place that wants to be more, more frugal or has to be out of necessity, in some places like India, for example, uh, almost every family over there has and uses a pressure cooker. 
um, installing faucet aerators and uh, also installing low flow shower heads. Oh, there's just chaos here. I apologize, Dave. That was the Dave Matthews sound bit. Let's just moment. start over and then you can cut it out. Installing faucet aerators and low flow shower heads. Hey, the super's in my bathroom changing my shower head. Have they changed your shower head? No, he's doing mine next. They're low flow, you know. Low flow? Well, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, um, I don't either, Kramer. Can save a substantial amount of water bills uh, from water bills when a household has heavy water users. So, um, for for me, for example, I I installed low flow um, shower heads when I moved into the place that I currently live in. Um, the difference is there's different ways to adjust, right? Uh, you can get low flow shower heads that sort of save up water pressure. You can also remove the filters from within them. So a lot of times nowadays when you buy a shower head, it'll come with like one or two pieces that you can keep in or remove depending on how, how much flow you want to go through the shower head piece itself and then cause a higher pressure. But remember that the higher pressure you have in a shower, the more water is being used and expelled from, from, the, uh, uh, from the faucet. The higher flow you have, I right. would say. Right. It's the opposite of what uh, Kramer is, uh, has a high disdain for in that clip. <laughs> Uh, so it is always good to have those, but I, I think probably a compromise is in order for that sort of thing, just because it, I think everyone will agree, unless you live in a tiny house, um, that, and you know what tiny houses are, right? Little tiny houses. We've been there. <laughs> uh, that you, you need to have some water pressure in the shower in order to have a good shower. So like, if I'm just going to have a five-minute shower... If you don't want flat hair. If I'm going to have a five-minute or ten-minute shower, which I normally take... I want the high pressure, but I do suppress some of that a little bit. So in our house, for example, uh, we we are using a little bit of a low flow, but not as much as as let's uh, call it medium flow. We're, we're using a medium flow shower heads <laughs> in this household. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, no high flow shower heads around here. Are you familiar with a, uh, an HWT blanket? Uh, I I've never seen one. I mean, the concept makes sense for sure. So uh, it's a hot water tank blanket, and it's this big insulation blanket that goes around the water heater's tank, and all it's doing is keeping the hot in and uh, sure. allowing it to use less energy. Um, so that's something you can purchase at hardware stores and some other places. It doesn't cost that much, and you just wrap it around, and it's made out of sort of a flame-retardant material, but it still keeps the heat in. So it's a very good buy for people interested in conserving a little bit of that gas or electric bill, depending on how your water heater is powered. Um, also just turning down the water heater to a temperature that's only as hot as you need will save a lot of money on your bill. So depending on who is living at your house before you or how often you use your hot water heater, you can certainly turn that down. A lot of water heaters are set really high and they're higher than they need to be. And there's electric water heaters now as well, which are very efficient. They're a little expensive, um, but they heat water on demand. Now, my friend Jason has one of those and it did cost him an arm and a leg, but he'll eventually recoup. You eventually the cost. recoup your money, and you know what? He probably bought one several years ago. You know, as uh, things like that, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the power uh, and the solar and stuff, as they're getting better and better every from year to year, the costs go down. Yep. Um, another thing is you can actually turn off your hot water heater if you're a family that let's say. Uh, that all leaves the house every day and you go to work and you go to school and no one's there, after you take your showers in the morning, just turn it off. You can, um, turn you know, it. 
Imagine if you lived in like Florida, you'd barely need to use it even. So uh, keep in mind that there is this this device that's just heating up water for no particular reason unless you are constantly home and showering and needing hot water. So you could at any time sort of uh, get rid of that excess cost and energy usage that you don't have to have on all the time. Uh, using your thermostat is very important. Uh, having an automatic programmable thermostat is something that a ton of people don't have. Still, even though they only cost like $20, uh, you can buy them from any We're not talking store. about like the new next-gen ones. We're talking about like the ones that have been around you know, for 30 years. Right. Walmart, Target, wherever now. My, my yeah. brother has a Nest and my dad has Nest as well, which is the learning thermostat. And it's a very nice piece of equipment where it will just sort of learn your habits and just continue those habits. And that's awesome because uh, the problem I find with the programmable thermostat is that you'll program it and then no one wants to go back and mess with it ever. So if you're going on vacation, <laughs> you forget. If you're uh, going to be home that weekend or that week and you're off work, you forget. And so your thermostat is just constantly doing that one thing that you never had time to program it for a second thing. Yeah, I like the idea of programming it, though, because um, you definitely you know, can uh, lower temperatures at night and stuff like that. Let the lower, um, you know, since the sun's not out, it's easier to... Uh, uh, to cool the house obviously at night and you don't need to heat it as much at night yeah. uh, because you're sleeping and you're under blankets and shit but so a program like nest is the ultimate solution and that will come down as well it's wired and it knows what temperature it is outside and if it's going to rain and will it be humid and so it adjusts everything according to that that's based, amazing based on your individual preference so yeah my brother would tell you he'd be the first one to say that was a great purchase i mean it only costs like uh, 150 dollars or something like that and you basically just snap it on the same wires that you have there already. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, and uh, the average recommendation from most power companies is to keep your thermostat at 76 in the summer and 68 in the winter. I know a lot of people that keep it colder and warmer, uh, but that is probably um, a good temperature to keep it at that's not going to upset anyone. Um, I think it's good. It's an acceptable uh, temperature for everyone. Uh, unplugging everything you don't use is probably the best thing you could ever tell anyone that has a high electric bill. Our house tends to have a high electric bill, and that's because we have tons of computers and uh, televisions and other electrical devices that are all plugged in. If we were to turn off all of the power... Um, I'm sorry, uh, why can't I remember what they're called? <laughs> the devices? Uh, surge protectors. Oh, yes. Uh, where things are plugged into... The power strips. Um, every night, for example, then we would probably save uh, $40, uh, $50 on our electric bill because we have so many things. You think if we just turn that off every night? I absolutely do. But uh, there is a certain um, you know point in which you maybe don't want to do that because there's a hassle involved. Oh, so yeah. A lot of people will set up a power switch... Uh, for their TV, for example, in the living room, where instead of having to go plug in the surge protector every single morning or every single afternoon when you go to watch TV, all you have to do is hit the power switch, which will then bring the power back into everything else. Okay. Um, so I remember it's, it's, it's kind of a very 70, 70s, 80s kinds of thing. Uh, I had two computers hooked up in one computer desk at one time. And we had one of those old little uh, pizza box things that has little flashing lights on it that says, like, monitor, computer one, computer two. A power bar that was, like, <laughs> the size of a modern laptop. Right. And, and in plugging something into that and allowing that to not take any power in, then you are basically uh, doing exactly this while still making it easy to use. 
So that's that's a, sort of a compromise you could make is some kind of a switch that anyone could easily operate to turn everything on, but it's not allowing things to have a drain. What they need is a, a Nest equivalent to manage the power in your house. Well, let's be honest. What they really need is uh, the smart electrical power outlets that won't take uh, any kind of a drain into it. Um, when when it doesn't need when to. When it doesn't need to. That would be the best. Because most appliances, uh, whether they be toaster ovens or... or uh, you know, uh, cell phone chargers or, or anything are going to have to, they're going to draw and like your 10 TV watts. is off. Exactly. They're still going to draw like a low drain power drain. And yeah. if you don't have that on you, you're going to notice a world of a difference. Um, filling your fridge and freezer with bottles of tap water. That's really interesting. That's something that I didn't actually realize before. Uh, I think it's kind of like putting a stone in your oven. Yeah, so it's going to regulate the temperature in there, and it will allow it to, when it cools, uh, that gets dispersed into everything, which then makes it so that the refrigerator doesn't have to turn on and cool itself again every time you open the door, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, having lots of cold water in there helps keep it cold. Yeah, so so that's good stuff. Uh, I wanted to, uh, before, we, before we ended uh, this little soiree, I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things... That, that might mean that you're jumping off the fru, the frugal cliff. <laughs> so you're, you're taking things too far. So let's just uh, go on them real quick. And if you have anything to add, then just uh, shoot it off. Okay. Sure. One, you, you brew more than one pot of coffee with the same coffee grinds. Now that can be used as a metaphor too with uh, pretty much anything else where you're, <laughs> you're doing something with the same stuff and then you use it over and over again because you think you can get the same thing out of it. Oh boy, I'm guilty of that from time to time. I've been there. Not with coffee, but uh, <laughs> with you know things I should probably only use once. I see. Uh, you reuse paper products, so uh, you're like turning things around and putting printer paper on the back of the back thing that doesn't have that much on it because I tend to disagree. I reuse uh, printer paper at work because we don't recycle, um, so that's my way of recycling it. Well, the idea is if you're if you're using things more than one time, like if you're using paper towels and then you're putting them aside to use once more, like those are the kinds of things that I think is a little bit too frugal. <laughs> uh, and that's what I mean, really. Kleenex, toilet paper, they should go in the trash. They should not be things that are reused. Um, you spend an entire day grocery shopping. You're going to six different places to get the cheapest, uh, the cheapest bread and the cheapest meat and the cheapest eggs. And you're driving to like neighboring cities in order to do this. That I don't do. I'm not that. I know that. I, I've done the math on that before. <laughs> You've done the math. I've done the math. He, would he actually consider driving around to four different places to try I to get a good I just know that it, it would never, it doesn't work out. Bringing back Seinfeld references, that's like collecting a whole bunch of bottles in one state and then driving to another state to to uh, to turn them in for, for cash. Hey, if the math works, then you do the math. Well, it doesn't if they all spill out on the highway. Um, you keep broken Someone's items. Throwing golf clubs at you. You keep broken items that you can never hope to repair. So you have somewhere uh, like three Walkmans and two computers and like uh, five AM/FM radio stereos that are just not going to to ever be fixed, and you're somehow thinking that you're going to fix them. Uh, <laughs> I I know a lot of people like that. <laughs> that one especially they're guilty of that one you do your own auto body 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 work excuse me auto body work even when you don't know what a spark plug is so uh those people that can change brakes for example uh you know i've done that a couple times and you've done that a bunch of times but i think that's about the limit of my relationship. i've screwed it up too 
So like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to go to my car and be like, well, I'm going to rebuild the transmission today. Like some people, they think that they can be frugal by buying a, a Hanes auto manual and then doing something that is way above their pay grade. Or, or build a deck and they have never picked up a saw in their life. Yeah, so D, DIY, that's great. You know, if you're a maker and part of this maker movement, awesome. Make things. But, like, make things that you know how to make and just, you know, move up Start that, small. Move up that difficulty level slowly. Yeah. Don't just start making a house because no one If you have to go it. to Home Depot to buy all of the tools you need for a project, <laughs> maybe you're not ready for that. Uh, ignoring expiration dates is a big one for people that want to live real frugally. So uh, the the idea that something goes bad immediately when the expiration date hits it is untrue. And I think we all know that. There's a really good um, segment on John Oliver earlier this year about um, like some of the arbitrary dating on food. Um, but that's not to say that uh, you know you should keep your milk. A week and a half after it expires. Well, no, and you shouldn't. And you can easily tell when when milk is spoiled. Trust your nose. If you have uh, if you have items like meat and stuff, deli meat uh, is only going to be good for about a week. Like it's it is not good after that. And I don't care what the expiration date says or what one website you found on the internet says. <laughs> it's simply not good anymore. When when food becomes slimy and discolored, you should probably stop eating it. Um, you dumpster dive. Oh boy. I don't know anyone that dumpster dives that has admitted it to me. It doesn't mean that's a bad thing. And I understand that there can be things you can find in there that can be reused. But I really don't uh, think that that's a, a good quality of a person uh, to be dumpster diving and picking up garbage. I certainly wouldn't brag about it. Well, and even if you do find something, like how, do you have to take it into your disinfecting room? Like, How does this work? <laughs> how nasty of a dumpster are you really diving in? How many things are there that it's come in contact with that you're going to like, you know, let your children and your relatives and your friends also Here, come Here, Timmy, there's with? a new toy. Yeah, it's only touched three syringes, two condoms, and a tampon. Oh. Uh, you're, you crash weddings for the free food. Uh, so that's something... I, I think if you can do that right, you've got style. <laughs> and you... You are not taking anything too far. Um, or you jump in the water to save the life of a golf ball. I won't even jump in the water to save the life of my Frisbee, which is much more expensive than a golf ball. So maybe like uh, try to get in the creek, but I, I usually won't go as far as taking my shoes and socks off to go in unless it's really nice, like clean. Sure. So I, <laughs> I, I think we've determined... That uh, th there's a lot of things that, that Jason and I might not follow, you know, but some of the things we do and some of the things I, I hope having had this discussion, we might uh, think about doing in the future. Um, in addition to that, those people that are listening to this podcast that have never really tried to be frugal, uh, like me when I was 23 to 27, <laughs> um, th those sort of years, you know, treasure them. They're fantastic, except you're going to have nothing from them because you have no money. Uh, and uh, no uh, levels of responsibility that you've gained from, from living by yourself, etc. You have to learn how to do it. It's an acquired skill like most other things. Yeah, and now I'll stop talking about myself, and we can move on to other people. So uh, I think there, there should be a line that you draw somewhere, but it's very important that uh, you think a little bit about other people and the environment and the way that you use things, not to mention the fact that your bills are just going to be less expensive if you just do a couple of these things. So don't jump off the frugal cliff, but we do hope that you followed some of these guidelines. So for Jason, I'm Dave, and uh, 
good talk, buddy. We hope that you uh, drink five. Make sure to go to iTunes and uh, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Drink Five. Go to Facebook and like us, uh, Drink Five Network. Facebook.com slash Drink Five Network. Correct. All right. I'm not even on Facebook and I know this stuff now. This is fantastic. You are in the minority, my friend. All right, Dave. Well, we'll see you guys in two weeks for another retrospectacle. Okay. Cheers. <laughs>